Crosswalk Church Podcast in Phoenix, Arizona. We'll be reading in John chapter 16, verses 16 to 18. I know you brought your Bibles along today, so go ahead and open them up to the Gospel of John chapter 16. Before I dive in and begin reading there, give you a little time to open up your Bibles, I want to talk a little bit just about the irony of life. And I'm sure that many of you have experienced that life can many times be ironic. Now, there are several definitions of this word irony. So I'm going to put up the one that I'm referencing when I say that life is ironic. Irony means an incongruity between the actual result of a sequence of events and the normal or expected result, an event or result marked by such incongruity. I always love it when you have to define a definition, but everybody goes, okay, I thought I understand irony, but I don't get incongruity. But incongruity just means it doesn't follow. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem to be logical. So sometimes in life we have a sequence of events take place in our lives that the way it starts out doesn't necessarily seem to point to the way it actually ended up, right? So let me tell you, for example, about my week because that, that happened to me. And, um, and you know that life is just like this, right? I mean, life is sometimes full of inconsistency. So this week for me starts out just awesome. Last Sunday we had a great worship service. There were a lot of people who joined us in worshiping Jesus in the afternoon. We had our 101 class, 14 people in there, and just a wonderful five hours spent studying the Bible together. I left there on Sunday evening on just a a great high. Uh, Monday, my typical day off, I had a great day. It was amazing, uh, very restful for me. Got some things done around the house that I wanted. And so the beginning of my week was pointing to a sequence of events that look like this is just going to be a great week. And it even began to continue that way. Tuesday, we have our staff meeting. We had an amazing staff meeting. And then I got home to find that our cat, Sid, Now, many of you have not yet met met Sid, but Sid was uh, a cat that was brought into our life, not really by our intention, by a student of mine when I was a teacher at Arizona Lutheran Academy. And uh, I wouldn't necessarily say Sid is the the greatest cat in the world. And when I got home and, and found that she was ill and had vomited in various places around our house, I was not too happy. But then as the week continued to develop, I realized this cat who, no matter, have you ever noticed that pets, no matter how much you would say, I don't really want this pet, or I didn't want it in the first place, yet they worm their way into your heart. Have you? I mean, that's what Sid has done with me. We've had her for 14 years. And actually, I'm kind of a cat person much more than a dog person because cats are independent. You know, they just kind of do their own thing. You don't have to worry or fuss with them a whole lot. But Sid was seriously ill. So one day, uh, Julie and I broke off for a little while from our work. We took her to the vet. We, we uh, got her some antibiotics. And the vet just looked at us and he said, Look, you know, I, I hate to have to tell you this, but, but your cat is 14 years old. And... <laughs> I mean, sometimes at this age, um, their organs begin to shut down. 
So, of course, now we're kind of thinking along that track. And in the middle of the night, you know, I'm waking up thinking, am I going to walk out there and find my dearly loved cat dead? And I actually do walk out there into the living room. And here, here I am, big, strong Pastor Jeff, right, laying in the living room floor, petting her and like tears, you know. I'm like, is, she, is my cat Sid going to leave me, you know? Have you ever... You're, you're all like hardcore. You're all looking at me like, no. Never, I don't know. We don't feel that. Life can seem to be pointed in this direction of this is going to be a great week. And then all of a sudden things happen and you realize, um, wow, the week's falling apart. And by the end of, you know, by Friday, I was tired from not getting enough sleep. My wife, Julie, she's awesome. She's learned how to do subcutaneous, uh, you know, stick the needle in and give the cat fluids. She's become an amateur vet out of all of this. But it was not the week that I thought it was lining up to be. And you've heard the old saying that life is like a roller coaster. There's even a song. I I heard it the other day. Life is like a roller coaster. And I, I was thinking to myself, you know, really, life is more like a downhill ski run to me, not like a roller coaster. And and uh, I'm going to see a picture of what a downhill alpine ski run looks like here. I mean, to me, it's much more like that because you're like headed downhill. Gravity is constantly pulling, yet you're expected to control that downhill run, not run into trees, not run into rocks, right? Uh, half the time, your one leg is up and the other is down. So you've got one foot on the mountaintop and the other foot in the valley all at the same time, and then you have to switch and go the other direction, and this foot that was in the valley goes on the mountaintop, and this one that was on the mountaintop goes in the valley. And all while you're expected to do that, red flags keep popping up in your life. So to me, life is much more like a downhill ski run. And yet, Jesus says, I'm with you. And while we're doing these downhill ski runs of life and meeting all this irony constantly where on the one, not the one hand, but the one foot, things are going good. And on the other hand or foot, things are not going so good. And you're trying to deal with it. Here's the, here's the issue as I really see it. It can get confusing and tiring, can't it? To have things going good in one part of your life... And, and indicating this is going to be a great week, this is going to be a great month, this is going to be a great life. And then on the other hand, it's falling apart, and there's sin, and there's guilt, and there's hurt, and there's pain. And you're, you're going to yourself, this is not going to be a good week. This is not going to be a good month. This is not going to be a good life. All balled up at the same time. And that confusion gets tiring and exhausting and may even cause us to question our faith. And that's why we have to ask this question, is Jesus really alive? Is he not only physically objective, really alive? The resurrection tells us that. But what condition? Is is Jesus alive but on life support and really can't help us? Or is Jesus alive and victorious. 
See, we're celebrating today Palm Sunday. Do you remember what happened on the original Palm Sunday? On the original Palm Sunday, Jesus came riding into Jerusalem. And not too long before this, there had been this great victory of him raising his friend, his best friend Lazarus, from the, the grave. And people were astounded. And, and the, the, the children are all on Palm Sunday. They're all waving palm branches and people are throwing their cloaks down on the ground and they're singing and they're shouting. It's like a rock concert. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And all events point to this is going to be a great week for Jesus and for the disciples. And then the week starts to go on. And, and what we see in this week is plenty of irony, right? You see on the one hand, Jesus taking command in the temple. You see him uh, saying to the money changers, look, you guys get out. This is my father's house. You're not going to be doing your crazy business here, changing money. This is a place of worship. And he chases them out like a king would, like a victorious king would. And yet, on the other hand, you have these disciples who have been following him for three years, learning from him, not, not just like Bible study once a week, but literally walking in his sandals with him 24-7 for three years, and they're still struggling to understand what Jesus is really about. And so it must have been moments for Jesus of incredibly high and incredibly low all at the same time, plenty of irony, and even for the disciples. And the portion of the Bible that we're about to read here from John chapter 16 is actually several days into this ironic week. And it's Thursday night, and Jesus is about to be arrested and then on Friday morning, the original Good Friday morning, he'll be crucified at Golgotha. Prior to his arrest, Jesus, of course, knows what's going to go down. And he gathers the disciples together in a room that they borrow in Jerusalem called the Upper Room. It was the actual upper room of a house that a man gave to them for the, for the purpose of celebrating the Passover meal. And Jesus and his 12 are gathered there. And he's using this as an occasion to say, look, there are some things that I want you to know before I leave you. And I, I am leaving you. In fact, in the first words that we're going to read today, he says, I'm going to be gone for a little while and then I will return again. He's indicating to them exactly what's going to happen. And this is not the first time. Jesus has told them plainly that he would die. And so he's setting all this up so that when they go through the irony of this amazing week, it does not spiritually exhaust them and cause them to lose their faith. And do you see how important that is for us? Because as we go through these ironic weeks that we, that we will, one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible is in this reading today. And do you know what it says? And listen to the irony. In this world, you will have trouble. What should you expect? Trouble. And then what does Jesus say? But take heart. 
I have overcome the world. I rule. And all those people who were shouting and praising and waving palm branches on Palm Sunday, all those children who were praising me, they were right. I am the victorious king, the savior of the world. So let's dive into John chapter 16 with that background and see the irony of the disciples and how Jesus lays out different truths that all revolve around this central truth. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Verse 16, Jesus went on to say, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, what what does he mean by saying, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father... They, they kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he was saying, what he is saying. So I want you to underline, what does he mean? He actually says that, they, the disciples actually say that twice, verse 17 and verse 18. And then underline, we don't understand uh, what he is saying. Do you ever feel that way? About God? in your life, with events that take place in your life, and, and you look at that event, that thing that's happening, maybe it's a, a hurtful thing or a painful thing, and you say, God, I, I, I don't understand what you're thinking. I don't understand what you're saying. And, and we say, what does this really mean, Lord? See, I think this happens all the time. And, and as you see here, these are those guys who have been with Jesus. They're believers. We're not talking about unbelievers here or atheists here who are looking at Jesus and saying, Jesus, I don't get it. I don't understand. And, and the beauty of this being placed in the scripture for us is to remind us, look, it's normal even for a Christ follower, a believer, to have questions. Sometimes when people first come to, to Crosswalk, I, I, I just sense that they're afraid to ask questions. Like, I don't know if this is, is it safe? Is this going to be a dumb question? And I always try to tell people, look, if you're following Jesus, you will always have questions. And, and it's completely understandable just on the basis of alone who God is. Think, of, think about it for a moment. God is infinite, right? And what we have revealed about him is plentiful. There's a lot here in this book called the Bible where God reveals himself to us. But do we think for a moment that everything we can know about God is contained in this book? You know, you know what this really is? This revelation is merely the tip of the iceberg of God and of God's love. And do and you know why eternity is needed for us after this life? Because when we're talking about an infinite God, we need an eternity to explore all the, the breadth and width and depth and length of God's love for us, of Jesus' love for us. 
Think about eternity of, of, think about heaven as that, that place where we get to spend forever just exploring God's infinite love for us. And, and that's only one attribute of God, God's infinite holiness, God's infinite glory, God's infinite wisdom. And, and what we have here is just the tip of the iceberg. And, and we, well, we're infected with sin, which means our eyes are clouded, even for believers. We don't, can't say that the, the blinders are completely removed for us either because we're constantly struggling with our old Adam who wants us to be blinded. Look at how Paul puts it. He says, now in this life... We see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So here's the first thing that I want us to all remember. Even as believers, in this world, we'll have questions. But what does Jesus say? Come to me because I'm the way, the truth, and the life. When you have questions, do what these disciples did. Go to Jesus and say, Jesus, we have questions. And don't be afraid. He's not going to get hacked off at you because you have questions. He wants you to have the truth. He wants you to have answers to your questions. Verse 19, Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said in a little while you'll see me no more and then after a little while you'll see me? You see, Jesus wants their questions. He's actually prompting them. Like, put it on the table. Ask me. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. We underline that verse. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Why was I waking up at 4 o'clock in the morning about a cat that spends most of her time irritating me and yet has wormed her way into my heart? Because I thought I was going to experience a loss. And, and that's what Jesus is really saying to the disciples. You are going to experience a loss of my presence with you. I've been physically walking with you. And after a little while, you're not going to see me. Then I'll be back because of the resurrection. But as we all know, he's also telling them, I will ascend into heaven. I won't physically be with you. You will experience a loss. And in life, we all 
have to experience losses, don't we? And it's, it's tough. I mean, a, a pet, my dearly beloved Sid, is one thing. But all of us have experienced more serious losses than that, haven't we? Or the threat of more serious losses than that. And that is not fun. I still have burned, etched into my memory the day when I was 15, year old, 15 years old that my mom told me that my dad had died. And I will not forget that day or that moment in my life. I still remember, because I, I wasn't home, I hadn't really expected that my mom would die when she did. She did have cancer, but I thought she would survive a little bit longer. And I had been asked to do some ministry in Nigeria. I went across to Nigeria, and one day one of the missionaries came up to me and he said, you have to go into town. There was no phone where we were. You have a phone call. And when I, when I got that phone call in town, it was to tell me that my mom had died. Those times of tremendous loss or threat of loss are very difficult. And yet, when Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, he also means, and that's what he's telling the disciples here, is now's your time of grief. You're going to experience loss. But what does he continue on? And why did I have you underline the whole verse? Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away our joy. You see, we're, we're, we're downhill skiing. And even in the midst of loss in our life, with this foot in the valley, there's always this foot up on the mountainside. And Jesus is saying, keep looking to me. I'm here skiing with you. And keep one foot on the mountaintop of, I've brought you joy and forgiveness and hope of everlasting life. And in those moments when you're going through loss, take those moments as an opportunity to, to come back to me for the peace that goes beyond all understanding and pray. Look at what Jesus tells them. He says, you can talk to me. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. In fact, he says, you won't ask me You'll, through me, go directly to the Father. Very truly, I tell you, my Father, the Creator, the one who made all of this, who's in control of all of this, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name because of my sacrifice on the cross, because of my mediation. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. In moments of loss, Jesus says, come to me and lay it before me in prayer. Paul writes to the Romans and he says this, when we're in the midst of sufferings, remember, there's a glory that's coming that will be revealed in all of us. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. You will grieve, Jesus says, but your grief will turn to joy. Turn your page over, and here's what I want you to write down. In this world, I will have loss. Jesus is gain. Now, just on the basis of these first two points, 
In this world, I will have questions. Jesus is truth. In this world, I will have loss. Jesus is gain. I want you to notice something. And you're going to notice it throughout this message. We are tempted in this ironic life of ours where good things are accompanied by bad things and bad things accompanied by good to pin hopes on the world. And and what I mean by pin hopes on the world is I mean we're, we're tempted to go, if only this will happen in my life. If only I get the job, if only I get uh, better from this health issue, if only I can repair this relationship, if only I can get a decent home, if only I can get the right car, if only this or that, pinning hopes on this world, we think then things will be squared away for us, right? And we tend to give free reign to our expectations of the world. Like, if only, and then you can create this long list. If this will just come right in my world, it'll be okay for me. And then, as far as Jesus goes, well, we don't want anybody, you know, thinking of us as having magical thinking, do we? I mean, like, okay, they're a weird, like, Jesus freak. They think everything goes down by, you know, Jesus magic. So we tend to be very modest about our expectations about Jesus. Kind of rein those back. Now, I don't want to pin too many expectations on Jesus, right? Do you know what Jesus is really telling the disciples here? Telling us? He's really telling us to do the exact opposite. He's really saying, dial down your expectations of the world. Rein those in. And if you want to pin hopes somewhere, you want to lay expectations on something, dial up your expectations of me. Give those free reign. Because in this world, you will have trouble. If you lay expectations there, what are you going to get? More trouble. In this world, you're going to have questions. You pin your hopes in the world, what are you going to get? More uncertainty. In this world, you will have loss. You pin your hopes on a world that gives you loss, what will you have? At the end of the day, you'll have where you pinned your hopes. You'll have loss. But if we pin our hopes and our expectations on the one who rules heaven and earth the one about whom the Bible says his enemies are his footstool, the one who died on the cross to save us from all of our sins because his love for you is immense. We pin our hopes and expectations there. Imagine what can happen. I have overcome the world. I am truth. I am gain. And he goes on. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I come from God. You see, when we believe by the power of the Holy Spirit, it's it's God's gift to us. A connection is re-established. 
By nature, you and I are separated from God. In fact, that's what death is, separation. A lot of people think that death is passing out of existence. And if you've thought prior to today that death means you pass out of existence, you can set that thought aside because death does not mean to pass out of existence. After you die, you still exist. But you exist separated from God's physical blessings of this world and your physical body. That's what physical death is. Separation from your physical body and this physical world. And that applies to spiritual death. You see, why is spiritual death such a concern? Because... You are spiritually separated from God because your sin has built a wall between you and him, causing you to turn your back on him and him to turn his back on you because of anger over sin, righteous, holy anger over sin. But Jesus destroys that separating wall, the Bible tells us, and reconciles us to God and sends us the Holy Spirit, draws us in. And what do we call that? When you get drawn to faith by the Holy Spirit, we say that you are reborn. Where you were once spiritually dead, you are now reborn and spiritually alive. Now, here's the worst one to consider. Eternal death does not mean that you eternally pass out of existence. You still exist. But you are now, if you spiritually die, eternally separated from God, from His presence from all his blessings, physical and spiritual. Man, is that hard to talk about. Hard to think about. To be eternally separated from God, his presence, and all his blessings. And that's why it's so important to, to get this message of this coming week that Jesus dies on the cross for you. The perfect sacrifice for your sins and mine, that he, he, he's raised by the power of the Father, by the power of the Spirit from his grave three days later, because that means Jesus is the victor, that he is life. Remember, he himself said so, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in John chapter 10, verse 10, it says, I have come. This is Jesus talking. I have come that they, meaning you, me, that they may have life and have it to the full. All of us are going to lose loved ones. One day we will be, all of us, separated from this physical body and these physical blessings of this world. In this world, I will have death, but Jesus is life. And here's the final one. Sometimes 
sometimes, and this is really why this message is so important for us to hear. Remember I said we get stressed and we get worried and we get anxious about this ironic life and we're going downhill on that alpine ski run. One leg up, one leg down. Trees and stones and obstacles all over the place in our life. Red flags popping up and we get exhausted and tired and we begin to have our doubts about God, about Jesus. Is he still there in my life? Is he still walking with me as he said he would? Look at what Jesus' disciples said. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you come from God. I kind of have to chuckle at that. I'm sure you do too, right? I mean, Three years they've been following him, and, and uh, he's been teaching them. This is, you know, a guy with infinite PhDs, but able to simplify it and bring it down to the simplest level at all times because he is God. And the disciples sort of have this audacity to say, Ah, Jesus, you're finally coming along as a teacher. So great to see that now you're speaking clearly. We can get you now, right? And what does Jesus answer? Do you now believe? Really? A time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. You you think you believe now, right? You think you've got it down. It's it's clear to you. No more questions, no more doubts. Well, let me tell you something. They're not done. And in this next 72-hour period, you, you think walking with me for, for three years has presented some ironic situations? He says to the disciples, you just hold on to your hats for this next 72 hours where I'm going to be arrested. Now think of the irony of that the king of the entire universe who controls heaven and earth is going to be put into shackles. He's going to be killed, executed. And yet through that death, he's going to bring life. He's going to appear to go down in utter defeat. And yet three days later on Easter, the irony is that he will have won total victory over sin, death, and Satan. Jesus looks at the disciples and says, and in the midst of all of that, you guys are going to lose it entirely. And you will be scattered. You'll be scared out of your mind. You're going to run away. One of you is going to run away so fast he's going to leave his clothes behind, running away naked, literally. In this world, you will have doubts which go beyond questions. Doubts that shake you to your very roots, that that scatter you, scatter your heart, scatter your mind. And make us go, Jesus, you stay there. I'm way over there. And we will leave Jesus alone. But look at what Jesus says. With great clarity. Yet I am not alone, 
for my Father is with me. And I hope you know that too. Even through all your doubts, even when it feels like your faith is being shaken to the bottom of its roots, that you, like Jesus, are not alone. Your Heavenly Father is with you. Jesus himself, your Savior, is with you in his love, in his mercy, in his grace. You are never alone. And in this world, yes, part of the trouble that you will have is that you will have doubts. But when you have doubts, go back to Jesus. Go back and and see how he even lived with that. Remember in the garden, in just a few hours, he's going to be saying, Father, if there's any way, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. Jesus goes straight to his Father for clarity in that moment. And Jesus says to us, come straight to me for clarity in those moments. Can we go back through those real quickly? Where are you going to pin your hopes? Where are you going to set your expectations? On what foundation? The foundation of the world? Jesus says, in this world... We're all going to have questions. Jesus is truth. In this world, we'll have loss. Jesus is gain. In this world, we'll have death. Jesus is life. And in this world, sometimes you're going to get shaken real good and you will have doubts. Jesus is clarity. In other words, as it says in, like I told you, one of my very favorite Bible passages, if you, if you were to memorize only a few Bible passages to give you a realistic view of what life with Christ is, John sixteen thirty three is one that I would have everyone at Crosswalk memorize. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Those babes cheering for me, those little children, those grown-ups on the first Palm Sunday waving their, their palm branches and laying their jackets down on the road, they were right. He has overcome the world. He's the victorious Savior. And still today that is true. Now, to illustrate this, I want to show you a video that tells us about the victory that Jesus still gives us. He is alive and by no means on life support. He is alive and victorious. Let's roll the video. So what do you think? Is he really alive? Yes, he is. And he is really victorious. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart because your Savior Jesus has overcome the world. And that works in your world too. I want to ask you to do me a favor. Pull out your program. Inside, on the bottom of the next steps page, the right side, 
you're going to notice that we've given you a way to share this video. And we'd love to have you do it right now. If, you, if you've got a phone and you can connect to the Internet, um, go ahead, pull it out. It's not very often that you're actually told, pull, you know, get your phone out and turn it on in church. But I'm asking, if you, if you want to do this right now, we'd love to have you just enter this little Earl into your phone and share this video with all your friends and your neighbors and and let them know that Jesus is really alive. We want this video to go viral so that people will know that they're invited to come to Crosswalk on Sunday. If you didn't bring your phone with you today, if you're just uncomfortable with turning your phone on in church, go home, uh, get on YouTube. All you have to do is type in Jesus really, just as you see it there, the YouTube video will come up on the YouTube website and you can share it from there with your friends. Use this as a tool to invite your neighbors, your loved ones, um, people that you work with to come and join us at Crosswalk on Sunday. And, and, and again, just a quick reminder that we're actually going to have three services, three opportunities for people to come now. Saturday night at 5, we'll have a full Easter worship. Sunday morning at 9 and Sunday morning at 11 right here at Cesar Chavez. So... Bring them on. We want to fill this auditorium up three times and let people know that Jesus is really alive and he has overcome the world. Here's your key truth for today. This world is fallen and I must expect uncertainty, threats, even hurt in my life from the world. But Jesus has overcome the world. He is alive and well and with me every step of the way. And here's how you can respond to that. I'll keep my expectations of the world in check. So I'm going to rein those in. But I will keep my expectations of a living Jesus totally unbridled. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you sent us Jesus. And that through his death and resurrection, he has overcome the world. Lord, help us to hang our expectations and our hopes in the right place and to to stop expecting so much out of a sinful fallen world. Redirect our eyes and our minds and our hearts to your son, our savior Jesus, and hang all our hopes and all our expectations on him. To to, to rein in what we think the world is going to give us and to unbridle what we know a living Jesus is going to bring to us. Lord, thank you for this amazing truth and help us stay in line with it every day of our lives. In this world, we will have trouble. But take heart. We can take heart because your son Jesus has overcome the world. And we thank you and we praise you for that, Lord. In his name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.